0: EMSradio.com. EMS information for the next generation. The EMS Garage is a production of EMSradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter, at EMS Garage. Email us, EMSGarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. The EMS Garage. Right now. Okay, I got the phone I want to know if uh, you can handle that call as well. Just confirming you are checking the patient. This episode of the EMS Garage is brought to you by Children's Hospital Colorado. To learn more information about Children's Hospital, and their EMS programs, go to www.childrenscolorado.org. Hello. All right, um, yeah, I typically work for Eagle County Ambulance District, and many of you know me from there, but uh, about a year ago I started moonlighting with Tri-state care flight, and I'm here to present a case uh, from flying around on the helicopter. Um, 15-year-old a 15-year-old uh, male dirt bike injury. Who works outside their metro area? Quite a few of you. You guys get into weird stuff when you get out in the woods. Yeah, we get once we get off the pavement, it's completely different where we're at, we're at up in Eagle County. Um, our ambulance district covers almost 800 square miles with three trucks. We run about 4,000 calls a year, and um, maybe 8%, 10% of those. Does that sound true, Will? About 300 trips to Denver a year. Um, so for me, that means I get to bring maybe three or four patients a year right here to Children's. Um, this was a, a bonus trip because it was with my, my second job, um, and once you get off the pavement, things get a little, little weird. Um, this was a 15-year-old hit a tree with his dirt bike, and we'll talk through the mechanism of injury. It was pretty impressive, um, and we're down near the Taylor Park area. Who's, uh, who rides dirt bikes? A few of you? Anybody been down in the Taylor Park area? It is like, I hadn't been down there in a few years, it is like ATV and dirt bike central. It's, there's just like this haze of two-stroke smoke hanging in the air. Um, definitely a little bit different character down there. So, um, and this is a little surreal for me. Usually I spend most of my time trying not to tell war stories so I can stick with the curriculum. This is definitely kind of the opposite, doing a case presentation here. But, um, as near as we can tell, time of injury was about 1215 um, nobody was really keeping track, but we got put on standby at about 12.25. So it took about 10 minutes for um, things to get activated, local EMS to realize they wanted the help of the helicopter and, and put us on standby. And then we went out there and kind of waited in local EMS, Gunnison County Search and Rescue, um, and the ambulance down there had to actually access the patient. Um, and so we had... Um, a little while to sit on the pad and, and wait, um, but we were we were ready and this is a picture of our actual aircraft sitting on the on the pad outside our hangar. Um, but because we were ready to go at twelve hundred and forty one when we got launched, we were in the air pretty much immediately um, and here 's a picture of us lifting out of eagle so you can kind of see what it 's like to fly around the high country. I have to admit, I kind of do this job because I like to fly around. I see enough patients at my other job that I don't really care if I get to see patients on the helicopter, but it's definitely really cool flying around in the mountains. So, um, I tried to snap a couple pictures with my iPhone as we climbed out of Eagle there. Um, what I wanted to show you guys is a little bit of of the area we we cover here. Right where I've got the mouse up here, where this I-70 symbol is, that is gypsum, more or less, and that's where the airport is, where we're based out of. During the day in the winter here, we're actually relocating to Vail, where we have the mouse now. So about 12, 12, 13 minutes away flight time, but we're a little closer to the ski areas and that sort of stuff. But for the most part, we're based out of the airport in Gypsum there, the Eagle Airport. Um, down here, where this, I put this little house on the map, um, and I've got a better overview of the, the accident scenario, but this is, this is where we had to fly to, to get down here. And then up here, you guys are probably all familiar with the Denver metro area, and you all found your way here this morning, so you're probably... Somewhat familiar with where the Children's Hospital is. That's where we ended up eventually. Um, And so that's kind of the the overview there of of where we had to go. So here's um, going by Aspen. You can see Ajax in the background there. And then descending into Taylor Park, and we're kind of coming down into the lake area here. Um, There's Taylor Park Reservoir here. Taylor Park Trading Post is just kind of stands out by itself down here at this corner of the lake, um, and we just had coordinates to, that sent us straight to the trading post there. So we flew in there and landed and um, tried to get a little more information. And it was a little surreal. We landed. There's not really a sign. Of, there's like one sheriff's officer that kind of drove back and forth under us and as we were landing. And there's not really any other signs of an incident at the coordinates we were given. So we landed. Um, that's Rob Hernandez, who's in the back of the room there. Um, standing there, and Rob Graham, our pilot, um, trying to figure out if we um, can get up a little closer to where the patient is. Um, sheriff's officer came over and was talking to us, said, um, patient's actually up a hill a little ways here, and here's the kind of the local area here. So we've got a nice flat area, the little house is Taylor Park Trading Post, and we landed right there. There's this little, it actually looks like a really nice road on this map, but this is basically a a dirt bike trail, and the patient actually crashed. It's an, in a wooded area up here at the top of a hill, um, about a half mile um, kind of to the south, southwest of us. Um, so um, we were trying to figure out how to access the patient, what we came up with. Um, we landed at 112, by the way. Um, do a little face-to-face, half mile to the south, um, and we get report that the local EMS wants some help managing the patient. We have no other patient information at this point, so he sounds a little bit sick at that point. So we coordinate with search and rescue. They put me in a gator with the kit. Um, Rob stayed with the aircraft and the pilot. They're going to see if they can relocate, which actually was successful. I'll show you where they landed um, a little bit later. I head up to see what's going on with the patient, Um, get up there at about 13.52. So it takes another half hour to get up. This trail coordinate with search and rescue and get in the ATV, get up to the patient. Um, he's, he's with EMS, search and rescue. He's basically on a motorcycle trail off to the side of the trail. It's in a hilltop, pretty heavily forested area. A lot of beetle kill in that area. Um, you know, lots of down trees. Which um, when I talk about the mechanism, I'll we'll talk about how many down trees there were. Uh, both his parents were there, which was kind of cool. Um, and he's basically just sitting on the tr- side of the trail. And so I start looking around. EMS is taking care of him. I start looking around trying to figure out what exactly was the mechanism of injury. Um, and he was cruising up a, a dirt trail um, in this treat area. He's wearing full protective gear, um, which consists of chest protector. Right, Matt? Helmet, face face coverage, gloves, boots. I mean, he's doing everything right. His parents have him completely decked out. He couldn't have been any safer. He's traveling 25, 35 miles per hour up this trail was the reported speed. Um, He's a pretty athletic kid. Definitely looks like he's been riding dirt bikes for a while. Um, His family gets out and does this kind of stuff all the time. So I don't think the speed was inappropriate looking at the trail. If my mountain bike would go that fast with me pedaling on it, I'd probably go that fast up this trail too. I wish. Um as we get there, family's all there. Um, they didn't witness the accident, but um, they're able to all convene at the scene there before, before we get there. So um, the way this kid comes up the trail, there's, there's a, a tree down, and it's leaning on another tree. And as I'm standing there, this branch, about two to three centimeters in diameter, is basically at my eye level, and it's extending into the trail um, basically directly oncoming to your direction of travel. and The best way I can think to describe it is kind of like medieval jousting. This thing just speared him right in the chest as he's riding up the trail there. And it hits him kind of in the middle area of the chest protector here and then slides off to the right. Um, That's what was reported. We got a few different accounts of how this all went down. Um, But glances off the safety gear, penetrates the right side of his chest, And the two different accounts I heard was, one, he kind of got himself down off the branch, pulled it out, and kind of crawled over to the side of the trail. After this all happened, and correct me if I'm misspeaking, Rob, but uh, after this all happened, I got another report that Dad actually came up upon him and had to do kind of the to get him down off this tree, which um, I'm not sure which one is accurate. Either way, he had a pretty significant penetrating injury to his chest. Um, I kind of like the, just because it's fun to make that sound, uh, <laughs> when you're telling this story. So family um, is there within minutes. They get the branch out of his chest by whichever method turned out to be true. Um, Mom reports some air escaping from the wound, and, and this is what she's telling me as local EMS is kind of getting the patient packed up. Um, mom, I'm kind of chatting with mom real quick to kind of reassure her and everything. She's like, yeah, I didn't like it when the air came out through the hole. Um, and I'm like, yeah, neither do I. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, they had them all packaged up by the time I got there. The local EMS had put a really nice three-sided occlusive dressing on there, um, and, and that worked out. So as I get up there, um, they report he's been hemodynamically stable for the most part. Blood pressure is a little on the high end. Pulse rate in the 90s. Respiratory rate about 26. Um, They'd put that nice three-sided occlusive dressing on there. They've got them on oxygen. Excuse me, a little dry. Um, 15 liters a minute. Who's done search and rescue work? How easy is it to get oxygen into the backcountry and then run it at 15 liters a minute? You just kind of watch that needle go, like, hmm, I wonder where my next bottle's coming from. So um, we were keeping the bottles coming and keeping them on the high. Oh, thanks. I got that Coke here, too. <laughs> yeah. Don't normally, yeah. They'd, they'd started a couple IVs. One was saline locked, um, both 16s, I think. Um, one was saline lock. They've him, given him about a liter of fluid, but it's also a couple of hours post-injury. So they were pretty much just keep, kind of keeping him at, at a maintenance level of fluid. And they'd given him 175 mics of fentanyl. So he's actually pretty comfortable. Um, I kind of get in there um, and reassess just to make sure we're not overlooking anything, um, as anybody should do. He's awake, alert and oriented. Normal sphallic, like no signs of, of head trauma. Spine's looking good. Um, he's sitting up when I first encounter him, so I'm able to assess his spine real well. Um, here's what I see when I when I assess his chest. He's got this 2- to 3-centimeter um, sucking chest wound as described by EMS. He's got this three-sided dressing on, and it's using a little bit of blood at the bottom, but it's not, you know... Um, venting air regularly or with each breath or anything like that. Um, He doesn't have any retractions, no false or paradoxical motion. He's actually got a pretty unremarkable um, chest exam other than the penetrating wound. Um, Get a good listen with my stethoscope. He's got diminished lung sounds both sides. Um, His abdomen was soft, non-tender. His pelvis is stable, non-tender. Extremities were pretty unremarkable and he'd been ambulatory on scene, um, had been sitting up, that sort of thing. So, Um, we needed to decide how we were going to package to the transport, uh, package him and get him to the helicopter for transport. Um, And during this initial assessment, treatment phase, um, I'll say the two Robs, because Rob Hernandez, my pilot's name was Rob, too, they relocated the helicopter about 500 yards away from where we were at in a clearing. Um, Patients actually reporting that he's doing pretty good at this point, He's still hemodynamically stable, and he's not really having any decline in his respiratory distress. He's, he's breathing a little bit quicker, but he's not really using accessory muscle. We use, um, And breathing pretty well. Um, we had no idea what his sat was at this point because we didn't have that kind of diagnostic stuff where we were at. Um, just real quick on C-spine immobilization. I know there's a lot of variation in C-spine protocols for trauma. Um, he sub- substantially met the, the nexus criteria for not getting C-spined or for low risk of C-spine. And whenever they attempted to lay him down, um, he had a pretty significant increase in his respiratory distress. So we decided to not spinal him. Um, and it ended up in the end that that was fine. Um, We'll get into that a little bit later. And like I said, aircraft got relocated about 500 yards from the patient. Um, so actually, let um, Gunnison Valley EMS, I think is the name of their service, the, the local paramedics, and we've got a few search and rescue folks here, but kind of, he had a, a little buy-in with this patient, so I kind of let him assist with continuing patient care to the helicopter. And I need all the help I can get until we get to the helicopter, and um, we've got our our tools there. So you can see the patient sitting up here. He's kind of reassessing them, and we're kind of bouncing down this trail. Um, this guy's kind of holding down the back end of the trailer so it doesn't bounce all over the place. Um, so we, we were able to move that way down the hill um, to get to the aircraft. Um, and during, during that time, he reassessed his vitals, reported them as 140 over 80, heart rate 88, respiratory rate of 14. Um, so really doing quite well, um, at this stage of the game um, Parents came with us down to the helicopter He's loaded, we put him on the monitor He was normal sinus rhythm Finally get a pulse ox on him He's 94% um, I would like to see somebody on 15 liters a minute Maybe a little bit higher But all things considered, I'll, I'll take it um, Blood pressure uh, According to our monitor, was 120 over 75 Heart rate's still in the upper 80s there And he's breathing 26 times a minute as we take off And He's still oozing a little bit. I get my stethoscope on his chest. This is the last chance I have to, to really listen to lung sounds at all. And he's still diminished bilaterally, um, which didn't really expect that to improve. Um, and then uh, parents requested transport to the children's hospital. That's probably why I'm doing this. <laughs> um, they, had, they had lived a little closer to the metro area. They were familiar with children's. Um, we didn't really have a reason to take him anywhere else, so... Um, off we went and so um, you can see what a pleasant work environment the the A-Star is it's a little tight compared to my usual office which is the ambulance but this is the patient sitting in front of me you can see our pilot there we're cruising through South Park Um, he's breathing well sitting upright he's really enjoying himself for the most part Um, during the flight Um, Serial vitals, he's 120s over 60s Heart rate's 70, give or take And his respiratory rate was between 20 to 24 um, And he stays 100% on our monitor throughout the trip Um, Tried to take a real close look to him Once we got up to our cruising altitude Which was about 13.5 To get across the mountains and, and into South Park No apparent exacerbation of his pneumothorax as we went up And you always worry about that potato chip bag effect As you go up, Boyle's Law the little pneumothorax on the ground can get bigger in a hurry. So I um, really wanted to keep an eye on him during this part um, and didn't seem to bother him at all. Um, during the flight, we gave him another uh, 100 mics of fentanyl and four because he was complaining of just a little bit of queasiness with all the, the opiates on board. Kept him on oxygen. And then on arrival here, as we're getting out on the roof, he's like, that was the coolest thing ever. I'm like... <laughs> he... Uh, I don't know if those were his exact words, but he enjoyed the ride. So on the way in, Rob was nice enough to contact the ED and uh, um, give them a update. We we ended up here at, at 3.27 or 15.27. Remember the time injury was about 12.15. So even by helicopter, this is a long afternoon for everybody involved, and, and it takes a little while um, to get those critical injuries here to the hospital um, when we're coming from out outlying areas. Um, we gave patient care um, report bedside to a level one trauma team, and I didn't realize who everybody we were talking to was at the time, but I think we, we pretty much gave report to the, the ED fellow at that time. Here's a, here's a picture of a lot of people in paper gowns, in case you forgot what it looks like in the ED. Um, any questions about the pre-hospital phase? Things we did, things we didn't do, things we, we should have thought of and maybe didn't etc. Oh thank God. <laughs> yes, sir. We don't have that much. Yeah, what's well, fifteen liters on a on a one of those little cylinders we haul around on our cot twenty minutes. Um, I you know what I didn't I'd, neither Rob or I charted it this way, but I kind of I think what I and what I usually do because I encounter this a fair amount is um, With a kid like that, or somebody smaller, um, I probably turned them down to 10 to 12 liters to just conserve a little bit and made sure that little bag stayed full. Um, I didn't chart that, so I don't know for sure that I did that, but that's kind of my typical maneuver. And then I think we just had several bottles shuttled up to us, and they were kind of search and rescue folk coming and going from the scene as we were packaging them up, and I kind of lost track of who they all were, but um, they had a couple ATVs and, and this trailer set up, and there were people coming and going. and uh, we never ran out of oxygen, um, which... You can't do that four on a I'd say some is better than none. I always try to, whenever I'm in one of these backcountry situations, I always try to f- figure out how much oxygen do I have and how long is it going to last, what's the highest I can run it at and have it last the time I want. And I've, I've hiked people out from other areas on, like, one liter because it was better than running out and then having them on none. Um, so it's was a little little bit of a a calculation, best guess, how fast can we move this patient and how much do we have and how much can we get in there. It's it's tricky um, in that search and rescue situation, but I always think, yeah, two to four would be better than zero, you know, or 10 minutes of 15 liters a minute followed by an hour of nothing. Um, So try, I, I would say, pace yourself at whatever will get you through to when you arrive at a larger oxygen source. And it's probably worth saying that the helicopter barely has a bigger oxygen source than one of those portable tanks. <laughs> we were probably getting pretty low by the time we got here. Once we got here, um, everything I know about what happened here is, is what I read um, in some of the paperwork that Steph was nice enough to get for me. And, and it all kind of rhymes with what we would expect. Um, here's, here's how the ED fellow starts their note. Um, 15-year-old male, arrived by EMS, unaccompanied, because we couldn't fit the pa- parents in the helicopter. Chief complaint of ATV accident, he's got an impaling right chest injury. Um, tree branch impaled into the upper right chest. Father removed on scene, he's got an occlusive dressing. Flown here for further eval. Um, stable en route, received fentanyl and zoophrine en route. That sums up everything I'd said up till this point in like one paragraph. That's not bad. If only I'd done that. Um, he knows the past medical history is negative. His surgical history has had tonsils and adenoids out. Current meds, none. Um, lives with his parents. Um, no family history that's contributory or, or um, chronic um, to this thing, and that's pretty common with trauma, I would say. Um, review of systems. There's like a page and a half. I go through every system. It was all pretty much unremarkable, so I paraphrased that here. Um, initial vitals in the ED. 139 over 65, heart rate is 68. He's breathing 26 times a minute, 70 kilos. Might be a little optimistic. When I'm all suited up, flight suit, helmet on, I'm 73 kilos, boots on, stethoscope in pocket, all that stuff. I don't think he was quite that heavy, but um, it works for for what we had going on. Um, And he continues to sat real well. Um, They chart that his head was normal cephalic, no evidence of trauma. Tympanic membranes are clear, looking at his ears. Um, Eyes are pretty much unremarkable. Did I just say unremarkable? I mean unremarkable. No nasal flaring, no nasal discharge. Throat, his mucous membranes are moist. That sounds nice right about now. And no oral lesions noted. Neck, no accessory muscles. um, Full active range of motion. Chest exam, um, they note that he's got some respiratory distress evident, no retractions, good breath sounds bilaterally. Initially, after chest tubes were um, placed, he had some de- decreased breath sounds on the right. That's how the ED notes. Um Cardiac, they note that his extremities are well perfused. He's got a regular rate and rhythm, no murmur, rub or gallop. Abdomen's pretty much unremarkable. Um... GU exam, rectal exam were deferred. Extremities are pretty much unremarkable as well. Skin, all they know is four-centimeter laceration around the right chest wall. Um, Pretty consistent with everything we found in the field. Neuro, um, pretty unremarkable as well. Um, He's alert and interactive, was um, not sedated to the point. They ran a bunch of labs um, that were a little more directed at Inclusion of some abdominal trauma, lipase, amylase, some liver enzymes, all those came back within the normal ranges. So I didn't note those here as well. Um, The ED made him a trauma one. Is that the highest level? I forgot to check. No. What? what? Red. So it goes one, then red. (laughs) Thanks, Jen. (laughs) 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 Chest x-ray impression, he's got a large left pneumo, small right pneumo, um, so that explains the bilaterally decreased breath sounds. Um, They explored his wound um, surgically a little bit, um, definitely making sure all the wood was out there. He got a left pigtail chest tube. um, And then it was charted that the right open wound became a sucking chest wound, um, and a right pigtail chest tube was placed as well. Uh, And There's a little dissent in the the ED chart between the ED fellow and attending and the surgical guys as to whether this wound actually communicated with the chest cavity or not. And so that's why I'm describing it this way. Um, I don't know if when the branch went in there, pulled a bunch of air in there with it, and that was just escaping. Um, You would expect a lot of that to find its way out over the couple hours we transported him. Um, But later when it was examined more surgically, they didn't think that it communicated through. And so... um, I'm going to try to quote the respective physicians accurately um, per their chart as there was a little dissent there in, in the things I was reading. Um, anyway, they, they chart their medical decision-making um, as such. He's, his physical and history is consistent with an ATV accident, pulmonary contusion, bilateral pneumothoraces, chest wall laceration, parentheses, open pneumothorax. Um, chest wall laceration and open pneumothorax are kind of two different things to me. so. Um, definitely open pneumothorax gets my attention. Um, Here's a picture of his um, initial chest x-ray on arrival, and thank God for um, radiologists who put these nice arrows on here, because I don't look at these quite as often as I probably should, but you can see the the boundary of his lung here um, on this side, and then he's got a little smaller pneumothorax up here, and all this fuzzy stuff, that's all pulmonary contusion, so his lungs are pretty bruised up Um, and so as we move forward here here's this one's a little lighter that left pigtail chest tube and you can you can usually find the curly q these are great for getting the air out of there re-expanding that lung and then here's the right chest tube or a right pigtail coming up, and you can see it curling over in front of the lung. And I'm not sure if they went a little bit lower on this side, maybe costal space lower because of the pre-existing wound in this area, or if that's just where they happened to to choose to go with the pigtail. Um, it didn't didn't state specifically in the in the follow-up that I received. But um, gets a surgical consult in the ED. Um, Basically similar to what the ED fellow charted with a couple little additions. Um, The right chest tube is putting out some red blood. He has about 600 cc's up in um, about six hours. So um, pretty good output, but not ridiculously brisk. Um, Chest laceration was explored. These guys say they don't think it appears to communicate with the chest cavity, like I said. So their plan is to admit them to the PICU. Do a complete trauma eval with these labs, um, et cetera. Get a C-spine, get a pelvic x-ray. Monitor the chest tube outputs, keep them to suction. Um, They're going to keep them NPO um, with IV fluids. He gets a PCA for pain control. um, That way he can just push the button when he's getting uncomfortable. Um, They're going to monitor the chest tube outputs, and um, they're going to consider a chest abdominal pelvis CT series given... Now he's complaining of just a little bit of abdominal pain, um, and so I threw these in here for kind of the the composites for you to see. You can see quite a bit on here of the pulmonary contusion. Even shows up on the bone window here. Pelvis looks pretty good um, from that angle. The radiologist note: they said they thought they could appreciate a little bit of air um, below his lowest rib and around anteriorly on the slices. Um, I didn't have access to all the slices, so I wasn't able to appreciate that. Things look pretty good from the front here. You can see his liver here and all that stuff. Um, so not a real lot to say about that. So in the PICU, any questions about the ED stuff? Um, that's, I think, a pretty standard, standard ED workup. So they get them upstairs. They give them a little CPAP on uh, for some respiratory support. Um, they give him some IV fluids for maintenance, just like they planned. Um, they said they'd have a low tetanus um, prophylaxis threshold, given um, that he had a bunch of wood rammed up in his chest, and they were going to monitor the, the wound area for some cellulitis, so it was good to watch for local infection. Um, they're going to monitor some somaticrit, since the red chest tube's putting out. Um, I think at the time this was noted, had put out about half a liter, so that's enough blood to lose for, for one day. Um, day two... Um, If I read this correctly, it was a little ambiguous. Day two, um, the right pigtail was replaced with a chest tube uh, because he continued to accumulate blood in the right side of his chest there. Um, And then day three apparently went real well because on day four, they get ready to discharge him. And here's his discharge summary. Um, They chart that he had a hemodynamically stable hospital course. um, Cardiovascularly, he did really well, um, respiratory-wise. They weaned him down to room air. Um, He's sitting at about 92% as they're getting ready to send him out the door. Um, The chest tubes were pulled without any complication. He's got just a little bit of a persistent pneumothorax um, on the top of his right side. and I've got a picture of that, but that'll reabsorb over the next few days and not really be an issue for him. Uh, They transitioned him from the PCA to some oral meds, and they gave him some discharge instructions for the oral meds, and some wound care instructions. And they categorize his condition as he leaves the hospital as good. Um, and here's his last x-ray. You can see, um, at least what I see, is it's just a little lighter up here. And again, I'm not the best ch- chest x-ray reader, but a little lighter area up here, a little apical pneumothorax is persistent. He's still got some pretty good contusion um, persisting as long as it's not not bugging them too much. Questions about sending them home, discharge stuff. This is for you, Matt. That's a that's that's a KTM, right? Where'd you go? Oh, he stepped out. Um, this is another another opportunity for some trauma. Be careful out there. Yeah. So, you know, somebody said open with a joke. I'd like to leave you with a kid-friendly joke. Um, so next time you encounter a kid. This is, this is a uh, helicopter joke. I thought, thought it was suitable. Um, do I have time? Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Um, so this guy walks into uh, the 7-Eleven, walks up to the clerk and says, hey, um, do you have any helicopter-flavored potato chips? And the clerk thinks for a minute. He says, no, we only have plain